It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. More people recently have asked how they can support my work on the show. And when I mention that Casually Baked is on Patreon, they all act surprised. I get it. Everybody doesn't listen to the end of the credits. That's why I'm mentioning it at the top of the show this week. $5 per month, 10 a little twenty twin twin. You decide the monthly amount and head over to patreon.com backslash casually baked. By becoming a podcast patron or advertising your product or service on the podcast, you help support the making of this highly responsible cannabis content. For example, I drove a total of 14 hours in one day to capture the content for this podcast. Granted, three hours of that was a wildfire detour on my way back south. Regardless, I went for a long-ass drive to the northeast corner of Humboldt County to visit my friend Nat Pennington's farm. I first met Nat two years ago recording Podcast 62, Seeds and Sisters. Nat is the founder of Humboldt Seed Company. He bred his first cannabis seeds in 1998. Over 20 years later, Nat and his team provide high-quality cannabis seeds to customers who grow their own cannabis plants. From regular seeds for experienced and professional growers, to feminized seeds for those wanting a 99% sure thing, Humboldt Seed Company is the first to have seeds that are, quote, certified feminized by LeafWorks Genomics. And for the newbie at-home gardener, I think you're going to get excited about autoflowering seeds. Whether you're a green thumb or a can of curious nerd like me, 
you'll appreciate this exploration of cannabis breeding, genetics, and the importance of planting the right seeds in your garden and in your community. So settle in with your favorite flower as we contemplate its beginnings. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. So Nat, thanks for having me out to the farm. Absolutely. I'm super glad that you made it out here. Yeah, it was a great tour. And then, you know, everything's going well with the plants and then technology has to come in and ruin the afternoon, right? <laughs> That's right. Yes, it's usually the way it goes. Well, you and Hallie tag teamed that. How fun is it working with your daughter? It's it's great. And, you know, we uh, somehow we managed to get along. Um, and I know that's not always the, the story that you hear from like family family business, but um, somehow we pull it off. So, yeah. <laughs> so Humboldt Seed Company, you've you guys have been at this for a really long time. How um, what year are you in now? Boy, math. Let's see. Um, we are, I think, technically 18 years uh, from our founding, but you know we've been breeding cannabis here in Humboldt County, you know, since 98, 99. That's key information before we talk about the things we're going to talk about today, because you know when you think about someone growing cannabis, that's very different from someone who's breeding cannabis and the tricks you have up your sleeve are very different from, you know, what other farmers might have. Of course, I I grew cannabis and folks often ask, you know, well, what, what's got you started wanting to be a cannabis breeder? And I'm not even sure if it was so much that I all of a sudden decided I wanted to be a cannabis breeder as much as it was just it seemed like having cannabis genetics was, you know, the first step in being a good grower and, and certainly being able to maintain your own nursery stock or your own seed stock Yeah, was, you know, I mean, that was an essential thing. And it, particularly back then, because there was no such thing as a cannabis nursery. There was no such thing as, I mean, there were seed banks, but... They were in different countries often, and and it was just not accessible, even in a place like Humboldt, where, you know, this is like the Mecca, and uh, it still just seemed like a no-brainer for me to to jump right into just kind of being self-reliant. Uh, and So when you first started working with genetics, were you just self-teaching? Um, yeah, well, I had a few mentors locally here that not only were teaching me about cannabis and cannabis growing, but they just happened to be friends that I really looked up to. And, um, one person that I, I talk about a lot is, uh, Petey, um, we call him and Petey is this iconic person out here in this part of, of the county or you know, this little region where we are right now, this wonderful musician, he actually founded that uh, group that we were talking about earlier, the nonprofit group that worked to, you know, works currently to save salmon, protect rivers and, and the ecology out here. 
um, and just so happened to be a, a great cannabis grower. So I just really looked up to him. I mean, I was 18, 19 at the time and I needed that a little bit. And yeah, so I learned some things and I definitely had some wonderful people here in Humboldt County to kind of try to emulate what they had done. So I can't take credit for coming up with all these ideas or anything. Certainly not. <laughs> but according to Malcolm Gladwell, you've put in your 10,000 hours. So <laughs> we can call you, you know, a master breeder, so to speak. <laughs> if, you know, I don't even know if that's a thing, but after learning about reverse sexing mm -hmm. and, you know, the auto breeding and this marker assisted breeding and all these different things that you're doing. Yeah. It's, it's very exciting. And for, you know, I'm just the end user, <laughs> you know, I just love some good vanilla frosting or blueberry muffins or that sort of thing. I, I am curious and interested in the things that you're diving into right now. So maybe what's one of those that you might want to start talking to us about sure well, we probably have so much that we could cover and try it, it's been a, a while since we've last uh hung out so this is neat and what you were just touching on of sort of like the tastemaker kind of um idea behind cannabis breeding and the forms that i was showing you and and the boys earlier and talking about the pheno hunting that we are always doing, but mm -hmm. the the one event that we had done uh, a couple years back, where you know we had eventually eighty people wandering through our fields of cannabis with those um, phenotype rating forms. And for folks that don't know, a phenotype is just a way of describing. That's the word for a particular look of a plant. Is just this most simple way to describe what that word means and it's a, a subjective word it's not something that is exactly you can sort of quantify but you you have to sort of quantify that if you want to rate different phenotypes for their intrinsic values yeah. or you know like so we're talking about the nose of it and yes. how tall it is or how yep. what the leaves look like how bushy the flowers or whatever these things are it's all this different stuff that's right it's okay. essentially the outward expression of the plant and then you also have a, a chemotype which that refers to the chemical constituents of the plant so, so the cannabinoids terpenes flavonoids that's these exactly things. right yes and then the other thing that we also refer to is a genotype and that is the genetic, more molecular DNA makeup of it. So a certain genotype related to something like, uh, what's the website where you submit? Yeah, 20, the, the DNA stuff, 23 and 23 Me. 23andMe. Yeah. So those are genotypes or population genomics, basically, is that. Mm -hmm. And when you find something that's very special, which is what we're hunting for when we refer to hunts, it's that you're out looking for something that displays all these great qualities. I tend to call it a dreamotype. <laughs> I like that. It's a dorky joke, but... Uh, hey, it's a breeder joke and I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, dreamotype. <laughs> you know, that's just like really an ongoing thing that we do. Every year we try to get thousands and thousands of of plants rated and looked at and they're all the best 
types of plants to look at are ones that you've specifically taken unrelated populations and brought them together through breeding. And that will create a spread of, of offspring. And the offspring, you get the good with the bad, but you know if you just keep working on the exact same population, then your outcomes are, in, in my opinion, get mundane. And sort of as a breeder, you don't want necessarily stay mundane and, and have monotony. You want to in my head, I'm seeing, you know, you driving into these cookie cutter housing developments and all the right. houses look exactly the same, except maybe the front door. Yep. All right. So you. And they're all made out of tiki tacky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And so we really do try to, to mix it up. The irony of that, though, is that when we produce seeds for even, you know, folks that just want to have some on their windowsill or in their backyard, they actually don't want just a random, you know, who knows what you're going to get, you know, mystery lollipop kind of deal. They want to have their blueberry ganja melon and smoke like blueberries, and they want something that's going to help them sleep or, or stimulate appetite, whatever that reason that you want to consume cannabis you want that to actually you know when you get seeds you want to have them come out the way that you right expect. i mean yeah. you you know when we're growing flowers for a flower bed you know it's we want them to be beautiful but cannabis is a functional flower so we we're going to consume it and we want to know what we're getting and so we come right. to a breeder like Humboldt yeah. Seed Company, and we know exactly what we're going to get. So I mean, that's the plan. And and that is like, you know, with a lot of conventional agriculture, that is work. That's like the first thing that that a seed maker would, would set out would be to, you know, you certainly if you're a tomato farmer and you're planning on growing tomatoes that are going to be used to make Heinz ketchup or something like that, you don't want to end up all of a sudden planting your seed and then turns out that you got a whole mix. Some of them were cherry tomatoes. Some of them were great big beefsteak tomatoes. You want all 100%, you know, like Roma or paste tomatoes that you would, you know, mm -hmm. are best suited to make your ketchup or whatever. And so that's step one of being like a real seed company. And I'm not saying this because I'm trying to put anyone down or anything like that, but it's something that we're a little bit proud of that we had identified that as a need so long ago. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's, it hasn't been super forgiving being the seed company in the cannabis mecca of, you know, who knows potentially like the world, because we certainly don't like our audience and who have been getting our seeds now for over 20 years here in Humboldt County, they don't hold back. If they have criticisms, they, you know, oh, yeah. let you, you know. have to rep the name. You have to rep the name. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Some big shoes to fill. A lot of people said, man, you know, that's you're, you're bold. They're coming up with that name. I was like, Hey, somebody has got to do it. You know, like, yeah. So how many seeds are in your library? Types, well, you, not total. Types. <laughs> how many types? Gotcha. <laughs> um, right now, I, I believe that our catalog is somewhere around 45. 
different varietals, uh, strains. You know, admittedly, some of them are, are fairly closely related. So it's not, you know, that we always have to, because that's a lot. That's a lot to think about and a mm-hmm. lot to, to maintain. But yeah. I but mean, when we, you find, I mean, blueberry muffin is a staple in my house. <laughs> Good. You know, so there's some of them that it's like, I, I want to know that that one's always going to be there, you know? Yeah. yeah. We plan on having that one stick around. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some of the things that you're doing out there. So yeah. um, reverse sexing. Tell us uh, what that is and what you're doing. Sure. So. Or why you want to do why that. Why we're doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we've been playing around with um, creating feminized seeds for, for quite some time. And folks that follow us more closely have probably noticed that just in the last year or two, we've really ramped up uh, having a large library of feminized varieties. And part of that was because really we didn't want to make seeds female. Cause we also think that it's, it's not too terrible to have to, you know, determine the sex of a seedling uh, when they're young and, We've always done. We've always done that. We, it's a skill set, though. So certainly, we also think it's important that people that are new to growing their own cannabis, you know, we try to make it easy for them. And so that's yes, please first <laughs> rattle out of the gate. Like I want to know that I'm going to have plant seeds that are going to flower. Right. Exactly. And so back in the day, there was kind of a commonly accepted thing about making feminized seeds was that you had to use certain genetics because they were the ones that would readily reverse sex. So back to your question about why do we want to switch the sex of a plant? And the answer is that is how feminized seeds are made. And so basically you take a plant that has XX chromosomes, meaning that it is a female uh, inherently and block the plant's ability to produce um, certain plant hormones just with a actually amazingly natural, it's just the element silver for some reason um, inhibits the, the ability to, to make this hormone. So then the plant goes to its default and it produces male organs. And so this is always kind of interesting explaining, but we are all technically we're, all default male and so and sometimes you know women when i'm speaking look at me a little funny and well i and paid I say, attention in science class so i'm still <laughs> pacing here right. so, but i i say well, well before you get too upset men like the males are actually missing we don't have that extra chromosome we don't have the genetic material to be able to reproduce and so while we're all can be default male females have something far more than than males do in that they have the extra chromosomes to be able to reproduce but in the case of making feminized seeds a lot of people don't realize that the the magic is in the pollen not in some kind of treatment that you're doing to the seed later on down the road you are actually treating the plant that produces pollen and and you're making a normally female plant that just to wrap back around to what I was talking about earlier, 
about not sort of having to compromise the breeding practices just so that we could make seeds that were, you know, 99.9% female. When we developed our kind of proprietary way that we actually reverse the sex of a female plant and turn it into uh, an outwardly appearing male plant that makes pollen, we can do that now to any plant that we choose. So before, when we were doing it, it was it didn't feel right because we had to make the the pollen out of plants that would readily produce male parts. And that's the opposite of what you really want as a cannabis farmer and even a backyard grower. You don't want plants that are just going to throw male parts out willy-nilly you want none of us want anybody that throws male parts out (laughs) willy-nilly that's very true good point (laughs) (laughs) i love that so we don't want uh cannabis flashers (laughs) (laughs) otherwise known as as uh hermaphrodites that just pop out whenever yes thank you for saying that because i'm like okay this is familiar but but that's when you get the hermaphrodite plants right okay right very much like thing that a breeder wants to avoid and and steer away from as much as as possible because those hermaphrodites can uh, really affect a farm and even a backyard ground yeah so when you find one of those you pull it up throw it as far away from everything (laughs) as humanly possible what do you do with it well that's a great question and and yes that is what we've done with those for many years is we've just you know, burn them. <laughs> no, but um, we got rid of them. As of late, we keep any of that material and preserve it in um, something called RNA later, which is uh, has the capability of preserving both the plant's DNA and its RNA, which is sort of more like the functional side of of DNA that can trigger different looks and behaviors so that sounds like it's getting into my epigenetic stuff is yeah that, okay. yes it is actually, okay yeah so and and don't get me wrong i am no geneticist by education i am somewhat self-taught but it, I, it has been something that has really interested me most of my life and i helped write or i got a grant to do a relatively significant uh, salmon research project and you know we partnered with um, you know University of California different couple you know Humboldt State and UC Davis and we studied the migration habits of salmon um, particularly like locally here in Humboldt County and uh, you know that was part of a conservation project we are still trying to a tear down these antiquated, really harmful dams that have blocked salmon runs and locally here. And, and it seems like we've got so far, we've raised $400 million as collectively wow. um, between both the state of California and Oregon, because the dams are in both states. Well, there's one in Oregon and three in California. So raised all the money. We've got Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, has 
and their subsidiary Pacific Power. Everybody's on board, essentially, but there's just been a couple of hitches recently that have kind of been slowing things down. Long story short, the genomic study that that we initiated through that proposal has kind of led to the professors that wrote the study ended up uh, getting published by Science, which is like one of the most prestigious journals there are, and, and also in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So that's how I got my baseline knowledge of genomics, and now, of course, always a, somewhat applying it to cannabis breeding. And, and as it became more and more legal and accepted to be open about, you know, the fact that running Humboldt Seed Company and and uh, breeding cannabis all the time. And it, that's been the upside of, of legalization, of course. Um, there's, of course, a lot of downsides, too. But, uh, yes, genomics, um, epigenetics, which I know you had said that something that you're really interested in as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I do in my own personal life and, you know, just trying to age gracefully and not lose my marbles and, you know, all of those things. Well, you you haven't <laughs> aged a day since I've seen you. I don't know how. I, I feel like I've put on 20 pounds and, of course, you know, it's it is not easy running a licensed cannabis business. Yeah, you've is, got a lot more people counting on you than I do. Oh my gosh, it's so it's, it it tends to be pretty darn stressful. What was it? I was listening to Oh, it was something on like Netflix and this woman outwardly just openly said running a cannabis business in her opinion, is like the hardest thing that you can actually be doing, you know, new business ventures that there is. is that was her. Uh, well, guess. and I would second that. Yeah, I mean, and it's pretty crazy. It's not only is it just crazy because it's new, mm -hmm. but the rules are constantly changing yes. and the rules aren't the same anywhere you go. No, yeah. so there's not a mass produced anything in mm -hmm. this industry yet. And so it's fun to be part of the, the building of the foundation, but it's also fucking exhausting. Yes. And, you know, you don't have the privileges of writing things off the way a normal mm -hmm. business does. And most people still think it's cute that I'm in the cannabis business or like, oh, you know, that's fun. It's not very much fun <laughs> right now. I mean, and it's hard to make a living at this, you know, I mean, you can get the cycles in, you can move product, but are you like building a war chest? Not right now. <laughs> Contrary to, I think, popular assumption that, oh yeah, that's, going to be great it's going to be the next dot com and so on and so forth. we're not seeing that like that isn't playing out exactly but what's kind of cool a phenomena that's i think really neat is that we're actually seeing that experiential knowledge in the cannabis space and hands-on growing skills you know having learned from from mistakes over the years, even if it was just, you know, growing in your garage or whatever has really been super important and given 
some very good people major advantages in in business and doing this and i have noticed that the cannabis space has many what i call great equalizers and so you know this is business now and we are you know competing for our place and the industry which Your i've always share yeah yeah i've always kind of been remiss to want to call it an industry but whatever oh um, but it is yeah yeah and so what are these equalizers so the equalizers you know one that's really evident just like hands-on knowledge and and genetics is an equalizer too because so many people don't think that that is maybe that important or they just think you know well don't i just go out and get whatever clones or whatever seeds i can get my hands on and buy as many of those as i as i can and plant them on as big of a license as i can get my hands on and next thing you know i you know just quadrupled my money and woohoo you know i can now finish my retirement and buy a yacht but what ends up happening is all the little nuances that folks that have have actually done this for for years have have learned and learned the hard way on a smaller scale things that even though there are incredibly well-funded venture capital publicly traded entities that are just you know coming at this industry from every single angle they can they certainly don't seem to be like crushing it like you would expect with all that money and all that acreage and everything like that so i guess maybe there's not just like a list of great equalizers but it just seems like cannabis is at its core something that's that wants to do that or Cannabis itself is a great equalizer. And as you were saying that, I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah, soil is another thing. Like, yeah. you know, you can't just ha have a lot of money if you don't have great soil or great farming techniques or, right. you know, indoor versus outdoor. There's a huge conversation there. So yeah. it really, I think, does come down to having the experience yes. because it's com it's so completely nuanced that... Yeah, money is not going to make you successful here. No. Yeah. And, you know, my m opinion is thank God because yeah, I, I like <laughs> I really like this culture that that has come together around this plant. And you know, having lived in Humboldt now for, you know, almost getting close to 30 years or whatever, uh, you know, I've just seen how it's had this wonderful effect on um, us as a community. And we've had these amazing entities come up, pop up. And we have, I don't know, just like an interesting fact about Humboldt is that we have more nonprofit organizations per capita than like anywhere else, I believe, in the whole country, which is, oh. yeah, it's just so, so there's been a ton of philanthropy that's happened in this space and in this community and you know now that we have 
this recreational aspect that is heavily taxed into the state coffer, we're kind of seeing maybe a little bit of it, a little more towards like normal levels of philanthropy, but uh, we're still a community that cares about each other. And, and that fluctuates up and down too. like my, a friend of mine is the local fire and rescue volunteer fire and rescue chief. And it still kind of amazes me that, uh, you know, smaller communities, it's just like, well, you're not big enough to have an actual fire department. So see if you'll, if you can get some local hero to just take on this huge responsibility of like huge responsibility, maintaining a fire truck, maintaining an ambulance, maintaining the shop to keep them in and dealing with all of the red tape that it takes. And for a while I was an EMT for the local volunteer fire and rescue. And it just seemed like that was like the right thing to do to, um, you know, like all the, yeah, give back to your community, all the cool people were doing it. And I went in and got, you know, certified and I couldn't really keep it up to be honest. Cause I was actually doing all the, the fish biology work. And that was my own different kind of give back stuff. But back to the local guy, when the price of cannabis really dropped about three years ago, I don't know. You probably, Mm -hmm. wherever you were, you kind of heard like, Oh my gosh, Oregon, they're selling pounds of cannabis for 200. I was just like, Oh yeah. I made a special trip there to buy weed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and people were like, literally you can't even grow the stuff for that. So it was a hundred percent, like a losing venture from the gate. And you know, our volunteer fire and rescue guy had to quit and he moved away to try to find work somewhere else because, you know, he couldn't supplement. And that's all it ever was for like a lot of people. It was basically, you know, you have your job and he's a carpenter and it was a full time job for him. And then to be able to give back to the community, he you know, had some plants and, mm-hmm. and that's been a lot of what humbled is. And so that's something that I kind of feel like I'm, I miss that a lot in humble, but, um, I, I think it'll come back again in some respect. Hopefully all of our businesses are so successful that we can still show up at the school functions and, you know, somebody would start out uh, auctioning a, a pie and it would go, you know, $75 for the pie and 150 And next thing you know, that's Edna, the local awesome baker's pie would sell for $420. Nice. (laughs) That's humble right there. That was the epitome of of what we were all about. I like it. Now you talked about, you know, him being the volunteer fire department. Yes. With all these fires that happen seasonally, what does that do to your crop? Like, you know, I mean, you've got, there's, you particularly, because you're breeding, everything is, you have most things like super closed in, Mm -hmm. but for, you know, the farmers, what does that do to the flower? Yeah. You know, there's been some years where, well, of course, like there's been just recently acquaintances of mine, like lost their entire farms down in the Santa Cruz area. And so, um, we're going to be 
donating for auctions that are happening through um, Santa Cruz Cannabis Company is that just they didn't lose their farm, but they are spearheading the effort to try to raise money to help the people that did and Got it. lost their homes and lost everything in that recent fire. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like California is constantly on fire and you know, every summer it's another set of record breaking. I mean, you know, I just read yesterday that it was 121, I believe, in Los Angeles, which was the hottest day on oh record ever. Gosh. And so, you know, I do think that we really need to kind of like look at the choices that we're making as a co-inhabitants of this planet if we think that we can just like do it all on our own and solve all the problems and i don't know i just feel like it's, things are kind of well anybody that pays attention you see the back and forth between humans and nature plants and animals yeah like you know we we coexist and <laughs> It's insane thinking about everything that's happened in 2020. I mean, I just laugh a lot because I don't know what else to do. You know, things are just feel really crazy and it feels overwhelming to think, how do you fix this? How do you even start to fix this? And the thing that always brings me peace is that I can only worry about what I can control and like, how am I showing up in my community? How am I preaching this message right. to my circle and the people that are around me? And, you know, how do I make people understand the importance of regenerative farming and, you know, supporting their local farmers versus buying stuff from Costco or yeah, right. the grocery store. So you can feel completely deflated by everything that's happening and so to sure. me it just has to go back to okay what can i do right now yes i agree and yeah i mean you asked me a question how does it affect the actual cannabis the smoke there's been a few years where we've had fires that are so intense that all people would come and check out the the bag to see if they wanted to buy it and they would say oh my gosh this smells like it was is this like jerky strain the you know like what kind of weed is this like smells like jerky but um and that's really rare and that but that's just terrible because you know like already clearly you've been really stressed out you had a wildfire that came somewhat close to your grow and you know now on top of of being so worried about it Thank God it didn't burn, but now it smells like jerky. So, but that is, that tends to be in the worst of situations when you have something that's burning for a long period of time, like really close to the grow. And that is pretty rare. Yeah. But I just didn't know if it affected it, the COAs. No, it's as of now, it's not something that's tested for. So, and I don't really think it's it's like a harmful, particularly harmful thing. I mean, maybe if it gets to the level of like you can tell and it has that smell, then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I personally wouldn't prefer to have to smoke that kind of flower. But um, I always feel like that's the stuff that gets shipped off east. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I 
I have a feeling. But, uh, <laughs> you know, back to what you were saying about how, you know, I, I kind of think you were just getting at that classic, you know, think locally or what is it? Think, think globally, globally, act, act locally. locally. Yeah, that's it. And that is such a, a truth that we should and, and I think many of us do probably try to do that. And Well, and I feel like they're trying to, and I say they, I mean, I'm, I've just put the tag on it as mainstream media, mm. but just trying to keep splitting us apart, separate us, separate us, separate us, separate us. It does feel like that lately. And right. so I'm just a like, no, like, you know, how do I just reach out to whoever is, you know, within arm's reach of me, you know, yeah. my neighbors, the people in my community, yeah. because if we just pay attention to all of that noise of separation and we don't actually get out and check it ourselves, yeah. then we just assume that that's the truth. Right. And then we're like, we isolate further and further and further. And then it's just this like self-fulfilling prophecy. I know. I know. I totally agree. And it's a lot of the time it's just, you know, the, you're absolutely right about the media just feeding us, you know, this confrontational feeling. And I think we do need to, try to rise above that and step around it yeah beyond the hashtags yeah. like go to hell with your hashtags like let's have real conversations exactly but i think one thing um just i want to wrap around back to what you were saying about you know how i i know that we do need to make some better choices and a project that we're working on that i have always kind of felt is a little dear to my heart because of its, I think, the possibility for it to make cannabis a little bit gentler on the environment. You know, there's so many stigmas around it here in Humboldt and California in general. There was this whole, like, period of time about four years ago where there were some egregious grows that had happened when it was total black market, you know, these were actually totally black market grows and there was mm -hmm. medical cannabis was around, but these were very clearly not. And they were doing massive environmental harm in their grows. And they were often like sort of cartel grows that were, you know, up in the woods and it was just bad. There'd be, you know, they would take a whole stream and divert it to the, the grow and then just be incredibly wasteful and yada 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 and a lot of photos were taken of big old junky piles and motor oil spills and and there was just this like really really bad reputation that really spread quickly throughout the state and people that care a lot about the environment all of a sudden had this bad taste towards cannabis growers and it didn't really like feel very good here in Humboldt County because there were quite a bit of sort of the movement to, you know, protect old growth redwood. And I don't know if and you remember. Second and third generation farms. And so, yeah, there right. was more people doing the right thing. Yes, exactly. Than the, than, wrong. Than the wrong. And, you know, it is almost like this divisiveness that tends to happen around media that people would, we'd all get together and we'd be like, no, wait a second. We, all agree we're all like on the same side here and and uh yes there are these bad actors and egregious issues that 
we do need to address and and you know maybe uh law enforcement going and dealing with that isn't such a bad thing and i'm really anti <laughs> like having enforcement on cannabis grow but you know there were some they were trying to take advantage and it was all about money clearly they weren't growing weed because they loved weed or thought that they wanted you know to get the good weed out to the world or whatever it was literally clearly you just are here to fucking hide in the woods growing weed to get your money and you know so yeah they weren't going to the city council meetings (laughs) no no (laughs) and advocating or anything but uh long story short they that stigma kind of changed things and you know no longer was the cannabis culture contributing quite so much to the local environmental nonprofit groups and stuff. And they're just, it felt so weird for a short little while. Now I think that there's these kind of interesting dynamic brewing between folks that are particularly concerned about climate change and like indoor grows and all the impacts. And then I personally am not a huge fan of all the gosh darn plastic that the state mandates that we have to use to child proof the joint it's like i'm just like oh my god if you know do you guys understand that if a kid ate a joint that nothing at all would happen but anyway that's aside from the point one thing we're working on is autoflowers and creating autoflowers that are essentially identical to our what we call it like the photo period cannabis and so for folks that don't know exactly what i mean by that is really the most common type of cannabis is is the photo period type and it will flower and produce the buds that we all love when the daylight hours begin to wane as fall is coming essentially so in nature uh the plant knows that springtime it's just going to grow, 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 summer, it's going to grow, grow, grow. And the thing that tells it, okay, now it's time for you to flower or, you know, reproduce as it's trying to do is when the the daylight gets closer to 12 hours of darkness, 12 hours of day. So that's commonly what we consider the trigger point for a photo period plant to bud. And the auto flower is just evolved differently. So it has a different evolutionary strategy. And that is essentially from the day that the seed sprouts, germinates, anywhere from like two and a half months, usually to three months, that plant will have, well, the buds will be all finished, perfect, ready to harvest and smoke. And that's it. Home gardeners want autoflower. Yes. I mean, in a lot of cases they do. And just to circle back around to the whole environment thing of it, I, I kind of feel like there are some real advantages to autoflowers just being that you can really let them do their thing in nature and you don't have to manipulate quite so much. Cause I don't know if you noticed when we we're walking around up there, but we use different methodology like light deprivation, which that is a a really commonly used tactic to get a plant to start flowering before 
the fall is actually, you know, before it's really fall. So you use light deprivation. It tricks the plant into thinking that the fall is coming and it starts to bud. And that way you get buds earlier. But one of the downsides of that is that often you're using this blackout plastic mm -hmm. that we call it panda plastic. And so, and that stuff has, has a life, but it, you may get through a few seasons with it, but no matter what, it's going to eventually start to rip and, and just not, it's not going to be economical to continue to fix it. And it's off to the dump. And so that's just like one example, but there are lots of different things that an auto flower cannabis plant does not require that a photo period often would like another one is just even keeping uh, clones alive. So for folks that don't know um, a good amount of cannabis plants are propagated and, and the nurseries are making things by just simply taking a cutting or a clone of, of one plant. We call it a mother plant and and then rooting it and so it'll just sprout roots out of the stem and and that sounds like something oh that sounds really easy but it's actually not and it takes kind of a lot of you know the perfect environment for it to really do that successfully and and so that's you know a nice even lighting which is often a whole bunch of fluorescent bulbs that are just right over the the cuttings and and then you need the growth media. So you've got, you know, whether it's like a compressed peat moss or whether it's, uh, you know, we call it rock wool, but it's kind of like a fiberglass mat that you actually stick the cutting into. And then you've got growth hormones or really rooting hormones. So you're using those to, to get them to root. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like talking smack about clones because I clone the shit out of everything all the time and it's part of our breeding process but i think as this industry evolves the irony of it is the the more like high tech we're getting as an industry the more that we can research and find out what are the most efficient and best ways like a, you want efficiency, right? And B, you want like quality is really important too because you, you want to save your money. And and you don't, right? That's efficiency, right? You don't yeah. want to. So those are good things, and there's just no way around it. I mean, we tradition is important too, but I'm not going to just be like, oh, you know, it's it's my tradition to do something that costs a ton more and is a huge pain in the ass and it could be burdensome on the environment right i mean my tradition is to harvest lots of big beautiful buds and smoke them when when it comes down to it like that's the what you're after and so what i i guess what i'm getting at is the irony of it is that we have all this technology we've got like you know tissue culture is another one that's you know relatively new in the cannabis space and it's something that we've you know, did a decent amount of back in like 2015 and 16. And we kind of quickly came back to realize that essentially a seedling is, is like that's nature's tissue culture right there. Because, you know, you've got this 100% pure, untouched germplasm. It's encapsulated in this 
cleanable shell that you can essentially sanitize. And so every time you start over with a brand new seed, you're starting with something that's as clean as, as possible. You know, it's as clean as uh, any kind of even like tissue culture and certainly far cleaner than a clone. So I guess just to get back to where I was going, like these, especially these autoflower genetics that we're creating, they're just so efficient. I mean, the plants literally only have two and a half months or so from sprouting to finishing. And one of the great things about that is that the less time something is potentially a host for like pathogens or, you know, any kind of virus, pathogen, insect, any kind of plant disease gets onto a plant and it slowly but surely it takes a foothold and it affects the plant. I mean, it even can affect the plants like in an epigenetic way as well, because even, you know, like people, a living organism will react to these things that are slowly but surely kind of attacking it. So the the faster this growing process is, the the fewer chances you have of those sort of things settling in. Well, that, that's absolutely the case, and and in like large scale agricultural situations, it's just like really all the technology, all the pesticides in the world can't solve certain problems, but what can is just having crop rotation and getting in and getting out quickly and. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that it's wonderful for someone's backyard, too, because you can plant a little cannabis plant. And next thing you know, a few months later, you're sitting around smoking a joint with your buddies. And I love it. Yeah. And I think that's the most exciting thing for me as the consumer, the end user, is all of the homework and the research that you do ultimately just makes the person that wants to casually grow at home, it makes it such an easier process for them. That's the point. That's what we're trying to do. Well, I love it. Well, I appreciate your time. I will be sure to include the videos that you and I shot in the farm on our people around. Yeah. On the casually baked YouTube channel. So some of the things that we talked about, um, Nat did a deep dive for us. So we'll get to, (laughs) we'll get to see those videos. Um, if you head over to the YouTube channel, but I'll also be sure to include info about Humboldt seed company in the show notes. And, um, that way you can, connect with Nat and his team and just follow along um, as they continue their pheno hunt in Humboldt County. Yes, that's right. Come with us. Come pheno hunt with us. Yes. I love what you do. I appreciate who you are and how you show up for your community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you too. And thank you for coming all the way out and just bringing that spirit that you have. It's great. I appreciate it. All right. I'll catch you soon. Alrighty. Those beautiful flowers get all the glory, but the seeds, they're the unsung heroes. I hope the next time you find a seed in your stash, you'll look at it a little differently. I've started collecting mine into a misfit cannabis seed library. You know, in case of emergency. If 2020 has taught me anything, it's the importance of a strong community and access to locally sourced food and plant medicine. Knowing how to grow your own food and medicine and having an actual space to do so, be it indoors or out, that should be on everyone's bucket list right now. 
Head over to the Podcast 151 show notes at casuallybaked.com for instructional videos and links and to learn more about Humboldt Seed Company's 2020 catalog and where to purchase their seeds. And if you're looking for a gift idea for the casual gardener in your life, I think a pack of feminized auto-flowering cannabis seeds is a great idea for no-fuss cannabis growing. Next week, we're talking to cannabis farmers in transition and how they're managing the growing pains of being licensed cultivators. In the meantime, explore the cannabis harvest videos on the Casually Baked YouTube channel. Message me your can of curious questions through the website at casuallybaked.com or find me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please rate and review Casually Baked on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That helps others find this highly responsible cannabis content. And it also makes my day to know that what I'm doing matters and that you are beside me on this journey. Puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.